Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Inside the tunnel, DT Scoop, 24-7 Sports, Andrew Alex is my name. I am joined by the full cast here. Everybody's here to party for what will be just like you experienced in college. A Thursday night party in Blacksburg. Chase says, Doug Bowman, Evan Watkins, what's poppin' boys? Just excited to get to Blacksburg, get back, uh, cover some game, get some, get some good food, find a tailgate. Maybe Doug will be cool enough to hang out with me this week. I don't know. He, he ditched me last, the uh, last time I was there for the Boston College game. He doesn't ditch you. You texted me at like five o'clock and said, come to Oki House. <laughs> I did. I wanted to, I wanted to get you on the, on the radio. Which was like a, which was like a mile away. You would have given the best pre-game preview on the ESPN Blacksburg show that I crashed. Thank you, Evan, for uh, voluntarily uh, coming and joining that because the way that Dr. Jeremy Counts had me, I was uh, really not equipped to do 45 full minutes of radio, so we cut it down to 30. Evan <laughs> provided some pretty good analysis and gave me a ride, so that was uh, <laughs> that was very helpful. But hey, how you doing, man? Doing well. Excited for this game. Don't know when the next one's going to be, so got a character. Very insightful, Matei. Yeah, we know what the last game was. It was the Wofford game. Started at 11 o'clock in the morning. There was actually, from what I could tell, pretty darn good crowd there that stayed through halftime of a game that was, you know, never really otherwise close. Virginia Tech takes care of Wofford. I mean, you'd feel pretty good about it if they were playing a uh, an ACC opponent, and that was the final score. Unfortunately, Wofford, one of the worst teams in Division One college football as a whole, uh, Virginia Tech struggles to score in first quarter, does some damage in the second, blanked in the third, garbage time touchdown in the end. Wofford never really threatens. Virginia Tech's defense obviously does a tremendous job. But, you know, if you took Wofford plus 38, you were never really worried about that one. I mean, there's only so much you can take away from a game like this. And it was the first time. I guess since 2018, like we talked about in the last podcast, Doug, that you didn't feel like Virginia Tech was being legitimately threatened by their FCS opponent, which I guess is a nice change of pace. At the same time, it's hard to imagine walking away from that game more confident than you were coming in. Where do you guys stand? Uh, I saw two things out of that day. The first was that Matei was awake for an 11 o'clock game. I think that's a strong, a strong indicator of this season. Covered the whole thing. And I also think, uh, I think that Pry touched on it a little bit. I think the goal, a goal, I won't say the goal, a goal was putting on film Grant Wells not just throwing to the same two people over and over. So, you know, I think, uh, I think they wanted to show on film that they could throw the ball, um, especially going in against West Virginia, who, uh, isn't stout, uh, in the secondary. So, Put some stuff on film and also moving guys around, you know, moving Lofton from outside to inside, moving uh, Connor Blumrick around, showing different looks, showing different different faces, um, getting Christian Moss involved, getting Jaden Blue more involved. Uh, it, it just kind of puts more on film that West Virginia has a short week and has to look at and say, we have to account for things like this. You know, you can't look back and say, well, he's only going to throw to one of these two guys uh, or one of these three guys. And, you know, if uh, if the the tight end starts leaking out, it's going to be a tight end to the flat. You know, there was a lot of tendencies that you could pick up watching the first two weeks. So I think the Wofford game was a really good indicator of, or maybe not indicator is the wrong word, but a really good uh, job of, putting different things on film to force West Virginia in a short week to try and, and, and figure out, you know, they didn't have a run game. Um, transparency. I only watched the condensed version because I had a baseball game. I had to be up for my son during the game. So watch the condensed version, but running game didn't look very good at all. Um, 
couple outside runs that I think were, were more positive. I think Chance Black had a decent run. Obviously, Bryce Duke had the big uh, wheel route touchdown. Uh, but I think it was more about just getting different looks on film, giving West Virginia more to try and, and game plan for during the short week, um, and trying to build out maybe a little bit more of a route tree and of a passing game going into this weekend uh, or this Thursday. Obviously, they're going to need Keyshawn King. Um, if Malachi Thomas could, can go, that would be a bonus. Um, I think he's close, but I think uh, I think King will probably be the guy, and they're they're going to need it. They're going to need to set up a run game, um, and then they're going to need to be able to open it up against the secondary. So, you know, those were kind of my two quick takeaways. Obviously, I only watched the the condensed twenty some minute version, so you all probably saw a lot more than I did. I think the two big things for me: Jaden Blue and Christian Moss stepping up, uh, becoming really for the first time this season becoming legitimate options. I think. It doesn't feel like Virginia Tech's wide receiver core is going to have one or two guys emerge as the clear top one and two. But if you can put together a group of, of Moss and Blue and, and Clovis Smith and Stephen Gosnell and Guam Austin, um, you know, maybe, maybe a committee approach, um, can get the job done for the most part or for what you, um, expect out of Virginia Tech this season. Second thing, I think the offensive line struggles in the running game. Um, struggle against Walford's front is it, certainly a problem. You would have hoped to be a little more, uh, a little more dominant there up front. Um, get the running game going a in uh, quite a bigger way. Chattanooga's tailback ran for 156 yards on, uh, on Walford, so. That's an ongoing concern, and whether that whether that improves at this point to me is a is a question mark throughout the year. Whether whether you can expect Virginia Tech's offensive line to be any better run blocking, um, I guess you could put some some faith in Joe Rudolph's coaching ability and what he's done over his career. That what this offensive line looks like in in, in September is going to be different than what it looks like in November. But I think that's Probably the biggest question mark as we enter the next um, next six weeks, uh, and then I think the third thing is defensively they did what they wanted to do. They played twenty five guys. Uh, Jalen Stroman is a backup safety, led the team in snaps with thirty one. Uh, CJ McCray is a backup defensive end, played twenty eight snaps. Um, you can go down to Kyrie Moiston getting sixteen snaps. Malachi Madison got twelve snap twelve snaps. Uh, that's that's kind of the the emptying of the bench that that you would have wanted out of the offense, and that didn't happen. Um, probably because I guess the offense needs as much work as possible right now, and they weren't concerned about a short week. But um, yeah, those are the three big takeaways. I don't think you can make any other like determinative predictions based on that. It's just like maybe they maybe they found something at wide receiver. The offensive line is still a huge question mark, and then you know you got a bunch of guys that are going to be that they hope to be key pieces of future Virginia Tech um, teams. Their first looks. Yeah, and I just want to add one more thing, just for Grant Wells being able to come out after his first few games, and obviously I think everyone envisioned him having a field day, and he went 26, 35, to 314 yards and two touchdowns. I think it was good for him just to get some more you know, momentum, more confidence uh, in the scheme. Early on, he was kind of throwing high and um, missing guys in the zone, missing reads, but it looked like as the game progressed, he got a bit more comfortable. Obviously, Caleb Smith goes down in the second quarter and doesn't come back, and, you know, that allowed him to work with guys like Jaden Blue, who made some NFL catches, and Christian Moss as well. So I think more than anything, this was a good game for him, although he's not, you know, Putting up 500 yards, especially how those first two games started, he needed some confidence and going back into the film room and, and being able to evaluate his 35 throws against Wofford, I think is a big boost to him because he's going to have to have a huge game against West Virginia. 300 yards is not anything to like sneeze at. That's pretty good. I mean, he's, he was the number two graded ACC quarterback in PFF last week. Only Jordan Travis at Florida State was better. Like, I thought that was as 
you know, the running game didn't do what you wanted, but I thought Grant Wells throwing the ball was definitely with a with a huge caveat that it was Walter. That was exactly what you wanted, and he was throwing, making throws that were that seemed like they could translate to a higher level. Here's the issue that I've, I've kind of seen, and, and this isn't a dig against Wells, if you will, but more of a a dig against the offense as a unit, and of course a dig at Wofford as well. Like Grant Wells can do that against Wofford because Virginia Tech's wide receivers would all be like the best player on Wofford. Now, props to that one dude on Wofford, the wide receiver with the long blonde hair who they seem to go to every single play. He was okay, but nonetheless, Virginia Tech's wide receivers are able to create separation against Wofford. They're just more talented football players. Against West Virginia, there's going to be more defensive speed, and of course, against like every team going forward as well. If the running game can't get going, right? And I don't know if you guys saw the statistic, but it's something crazy. Like Virginia Tech leads the nation in run plays for one or less yards on a year. So you're constantly setting up this guy who's already a bad decision maker in situations where it's going to be third and six at like the best, third and seven, third and eight. And then everyone knows what you're doing. Combine that with wide receivers that aren't getting clear separation. There's no defined athletic advantage. And you're forcing this guy to push the ball downfield, especially against teams like West Virginia, North Carolina, and the like coming up where, uh, you know, you, you can't just expect Virginia Tech to pitch a shutout. They're going to have to play catch up at some point. And that requires pushing the ball downfield in not such a game scripted ball control. Let's take it easy on this guy way. And, and, and that's what worries me. I don't think my, my, my stock has gone down on Grant Wells all that much. I think you could put Grant Wells on a very good team, you know, in terms of the weapons that they have on the outside, and he'd probably flash like that all the time. Still make the mistakes. But you, you probably see more, I don't know, Ryan Willis in a good game numbers regularly when he had Trey and Tavion to throw to and the rest of those guys. Good offensive line. I, I don't know. It just still worries me that, like you said, Doug, they couldn't win individual run blocking battles against Wofford. And now you got to play Dante Stills. And I remember watching the West Virginia pick game and seeing West Virginia's defensive line before I'd even seen Virginia Tech go out and play a real game yet. But having been, having been to the spring game and having been to practice, I'm like, those guys look like bigger, faster, stronger men who, in the case of Stills, actually has a chance to go pro. You know, he won his individual matchups against a pit team where they returned five starters on the offensive line. Yeah, I think Stills is the best defensive player Virginia Tech's face yet this season. And that's going to be a challenge, um, considering the lack of success they've had so far, particularly on the ground. I'm looking at their predicted points added for rushing plays, negative point zero six. Uh, predicted points added, which measures your expected points on an average play. So there you are getting negative points on running plays right now. Um, that is a, that is a big concern. And, and Stills definitely brings the, the stiffest test, test yet. And, and whether, you know, Jesse Hansen is, Pass protecting extremely well, run blocking not so much. Nobody's run blocking well, and that was against pretty um, competition so far. Uh, I think that's a big weakness, big vulnerability, big question mark against West Virginia. Yeah, I think when you look at West Virginia, the little bit of work, look of, uh, of a look ahead that I've done, Doug, you've obviously done more uh, with your preview, but I think uh, I think the key, if if you can get King outside. I wouldn't try to run King up the middle against West Virginia. I'd try to get him out on the edge, um, run him off tackle, outside zone, get him out, get him outside and try to get, uh, you know, some swing passes to him, get him in space. I think that's where you can do some damage in the run game. I don't know unless you want to go and maybe, maybe it's a, it's a technique unless you want to go. You know, the, the Justin Fuente hold the ball as long as humanly possible route. You maybe run Holston up the middle for two to three yards and let the, let the clock drain 
to keep West Virginia off the field. I mean, I could maybe see that, but I think you're going to have to have some big time plays. There's going to have to be explosive plays from the Virginia Tech offense, and they're going to have to limit West Virginia in the same way. So, you know, I think the the best way for, for Virginia Tech to do that, I think Keyshawn King's probably the most explosive player. You know, if you can hit some downfield shots to, to Blue or to um, Lofton or Caleb Smith, get him, uh, you know, get him over the top, that'll help. But if you can get King to kind of run wild uh, on the West Virginia defense, that's going to open up everything. I think the game's going to hinge on them being able to get him in space and get him to pick up some chunk yards because they're going to need that. Virginia Tech is not the offense that's going to be able to consistently go 10 plays down the field to to, to score touchdowns. They're they're going to need to hit a big play um, to kind of negate that need to be that consistent offensively. If you can hit Kishon King, West Virginia's linebackers are three of the four worst-rated linebackers in the Big 12 according to PFF. That's the matchup that you've got to exploit, whether it's King, wide receiver, whoever whoever those linebackers are tracking. Blumrick. That's Blumrick. Matei's leading down his head. Um, That's that's where Virginia Tech needs to attack and and try and stay away from Stills as much as you can. I think King King on the outside on the edge makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't think it was a coincidence that Virginia Tech showed that we had played a Duke late in the, late in the game against Walford. Um, sort of what Evan talked about as far as putting that on film and but now they can work off that with King. Um, this is assuming he plays, so he, he, he's the X factor and the guy that can, that can turn this into a, a, a tighter game or, or, or can swing a tight game with a big play. You called King the X Factor and Matei's steaming over there about Blumrick being the X Factor. I can see it in his eyes. I think he could be. I mean, for the points you said, I think the two most exploitable parts of this West Virginia offense are the linebackers and, and their cornerbacks. So putting Blumrick as a mismatch over the field and they moved him around quite a bit last Saturday. I think, you know, he's one of the players, you know, the other wide receivers as well, but I think they're, they're going to have to do you know, maybe they didn't pull out all their stops last week, but um, they showed that they can trust a lot more guys in this game. And I think, I think Blumrick was kind of quiet on Saturday when he could have had a bigger impact. I don't know if that's because they were shuffling the positions as much, but I expect him to have a pretty big game here. King, a Swiss Army knife in the backfield. Blumrick, a Swiss Army knife all over the field. So taking a look at Virginia Tech defensively, right? I think the big question that everyone's asking after three games is how much stock do you put in them, right? On one hand, you look at pretty much any statistical analysis of college football nationwide. Virginia Tech is top five, top ten in most major categories. Then you have to factor in that they played Old Dominion, Boston College, who clearly has a laundry list of issues, starting with that offensive line. And then, of course, one of the most incompetent teams of all college football in Wofford. At the same time, it's like you can complain about that, but they've allowed two offensive touchdowns in three games. I mean, really three offensive touchdowns in three games, but it was the backups that allowed one to offer. So the starters have allowed two offensive touchdowns in ten quarters of football. What's the expectation here? I mean, West Virginia has been scoring like mad. Doug, you put in your preview, they scored – more than 30 in, what, six of their last seven games or something along those lines? Five, five out of six, and the one the one they didn't was the bowl game, which I don't put much talk in the bowl yeah. game performances at this point. Yeah, for Virginia Tech's hopes, you do not want to be putting uh, stock in bowl games, at least not from last season. But, you know, as I just mentioned, I just don't know if Virginia Tech's the kind of team that can score in a hurry. And the blueprint for this season, for success, seems to be the defense shuts them down and the offense does just enough to get over that number. It's almost as if these two teams have completely opposite versions of complementary football, if you will. So do you believe that from what you've seen from JT Daniels in this offense that 
you know, Tech can hold them under 30. Because frankly, I don't see Virginia Tech scoring, you know, 35, 40 points against anyone right now. They couldn't do it against Wofford. But the starter is it for three quarters. I think it's going to be really hard. They played ODU is 107th in the country in yards to play. Boston College is 125th. West Virginia is 37th. This is a, this is a, you know, a top 40 offense. Bryce Ford Wheatman, wide receiver, is one of the best wide receivers in the country. Um, and the offensive line is a notch, two or three notches above Boston College. So it's not going to be a tee off on JT Daniels situation. I think it's, I think Virginia Tech would be, it would be impressive to keep this offense under 30 points. Um, but the key is going to be to just hang in there enough to, to give Virginia Tech's offense a, a chance to keep it close and to figure it out. Maybe you can swing the game with a turnover, with field position, um, something like that to set up a short field and get, and get some easier points, um, because you know, you're looking at Bryce Ford Wheaton is, is probably the, he's probably better than Zay Flowers, um, in terms of offensive talent. And then they've got two really good running backs as well. Um, and Mike Donaldson got his freshman who's, uh, pretty unique as a running back. So I think, I think it's going to be, it's going to be Machine Tech's worst performance defensively, but it doesn't have to be a bad performance. They just got to kind of hold their own. I don't think they can get to 35. Like you, I don't think Virginia Tech's offense can win if, if they got to get to 35. But if they can keep it around 30, 28, 31, somewhere around there, um, I think this one could be close. Yeah, I think I think that 30 number is the number to watch. Virginia Tech's offense looks incapable of scoring. Over 27 points. Um, when you look at the West Virginia offense, they, they look really balanced. I guess the blessing in disguise is you're not having a quarterback that's going to threaten you with his legs. JT Daniels is more of a, a, a pocket passer type quarterback who's not going to burn you with his legs. I think the biggest thing for this Virginia Tech defense so far has been their ability to stop the run or negate, you know, whatever the other team wants to do in the ground game. And if Virginia Tech can make West Virginia at least more one-dimensional, if they can, you know, it's not an easy task to say, okay, stop the run game and have, you know, defend against JT Daniels all game, but it's going to have to be something of the sort because if they're able to run their offense with Graham Harrell um, and just kind of doing whatever they want and have that balanced approach, I think it's going to be a really, really long night. Um, I do have confidence, you know, they, they do have that young Donaldson who is, like an H-back that converted to running back. He looks virtually unstoppable. He's averaging like 10 yards per carry. I don't think he's going to average those types of numbers playing a Virginia Tech defense. Um, and, and then, you know, Mathis Jr., I, I think is the same. He's been okay for them, um, but I don't think he's going to average those types of numbers. So if, if you're able to get to a third and eight, a third and seven, uh, and be put in situations where, yeah, JT Daniels is going to win some of those battles, but that's the way you got to stop this West Virginia offense or else, you know, they're going to run up the score. Um, and if they have the better unit on the night, we all know this game is probably going to come down to that side of the ball, the West Virginia offense versus the Virginia Tech defense. They have their way the entire night. They're easily going to win this game. The case of Donaldson is one of the most interesting. I mean, this is a, True freshman who on the evening of December 8th. So at that point, like, I don't know, had Brett Pry already been hired as the head coach of tech. Fuente was already gone. Like, we're not talking about very long ago, very late in the recruiting cycle. Was committed to Tulane. This entire time he is a tight end. He was ranked, you know, the 52nd ranked tight end in the country. I guess somewhere along the line, they decided to try this kid out as a scout team running back. And suddenly he's, you know, one of the big true freshman surprises in the country so far. I mean, I don't know. Tech is well equipped to stop him. You know, Narelle Pollard, Mario Kendricks, the guys on the edge, you know, Dax and the linebackers have proven themselves 
worthy to this point. You don't think this guy is going to catch you by surprise, but you know, nonetheless, it, it definitely adds a, a, a surprising element. Because if this kid can do this against Virginia Tech, I mean, maybe he is the absolute truth. It's interesting. Like uh, we're getting to the point of the season, three games in, game four. You know, this is the point where the the book is out. They're getting out. Um, Donaldson definitely surprised Pittsburgh. I'll tell you that. Um, probably even surprised Kansas a little bit. I mean, he's not surprised at Virginia Tech. He's not sneaking up on anyone. Um, you know, JT Daniels, quarterback, new quarterback. I don't even think he transferred until the summer. You know, uh, he's played three games in this West Virginia system, so the book is getting out there. That's an interesting kind of um, underlying story for both teams now. Uh, tendencies, plays, um, schemes, those things are out. Um, will we'll most of the way out. So it'll be interesting to see Donaldson in particular, how, how that, how, how he, his production, you know, fluctuates or, or whether he maintains it. He might, he may very well maintain it. Um, now that teams are, teams are readily preparing for him and aware of where he's on the field and what he's going to do and all that stuff. So um, it'll be interesting. I think I, I do think it helps. I think Andrew mentioned it, that J.P. Daniels is not a, not a dual threat guy. So Deontay Jenkins on the edge, J.R. Walker, Walker on the edge, Jamari Connor, um, they can be aggressive and they can, and they can key in on the running backs without having to worry about Daniels slipping away from him. So, you know, I think it'll be an interesting thing to watch the outside linebackers in particular, how they navigate like, run support versus safety. You know, they're going to want to get after Daniels too in the pocket. Going on more about what, like, kind of what Doug was saying is, is we know if we were sitting here a few years ago talking about this game and Bud Foster was running the defense, we kind of know what to expect. Like, it's going to be a lot of exotic blitzes. It's going to be, you know, different, different fronts and, uh, you know, different looks that the defense is going to give to try and confuse, um, you know, the, the West Virginia offense. I think we're going to see the same thing. I'm kind of excited to see what flavor Pry is going to put on that, right? Like, We've seen some stuff, a little, a, a few things that I think were, have been interesting or caught my eye so far this season. But I think this game is where you really might see some of his, you know, learning from Bud plus other things he's picked up along the way. I, I think we're going to see some of that. I'm, I'm interested to see what he does. I know a few weeks ago, I thought it was really interesting. He took CJ McCray. I want to say it was against Boston College and moved him in front of Dax almost almost at the Mike linebacker position. And it, it actually, I think it forced Boston College to call, a call, to call a timeout. I thought it was really interesting, uh, the look that they were given there. I want to see small things like that, see what he does, um, and see what he can manipulate to try and stop the West Virginia offense. Because you can't, you're not going to stop it. Like, this isn't going to be a shutout. This isn't going to probably be low scoring, but they have to limit it and confuse Daniels as much as, as much as they can. The fact he's not going to be a big runner. Uh, it kind of aids into that. So I don't know how the game's going to end up, um, but I'm kind of interested to see what Pry can do and, and what he can pull out to try and confuse them. Here's a, uh, a hot take from me, and, and tell me if you guys agree. Virginia Tech cannot win this game if they do not win the turnover margin battle. And I would say you almost need to be at a minimum plus two. Like, I think the defense is going to have to do some of the work here. Which, unfortunately, I I don't know if that bodes well for Virginia Tech given Grantwell's tendencies and his history. But the idea of the Hokies putting together sustained drives to keep up with this West Virginia offense on the scoreboard just seems unlikely. I, I feel like they have to be set up for success once, if not twice. Yeah, they certainly can't give West Virginia extra, extra possessions. That's not going to work. 
extra possessions in short field against this West Virginia offense is not the, not going to be a recipe for success. And I do think they probably need to get, I don't know if plus two is what it is, but they need to get at least one, um, turnover, big play on special teams, a punt return, maybe from DJ Harvey, some, something to, to set up Virginia Tech's offense with, you know, a, a short field. That's, that's the main thing is they've got to, they've got to create an extra possession. It's got to be, you know, 50 yard down, 40 yard down, something like that where Virginia Tech can, can, can turn that into points more easily than if they kick the ball over at the 25 or, you know, on a punt at the 10. So I think you're nail on the head there. Um, one of the ways to, to beat a, a, an offense that is considerably more explosive is to only go 40 yards when they're making, you know, they're going 60 or 75 yards um, on, on their own drive. So that's going to be a key. I think, you know, the defense has shown an ability, an ability to do that this season. Um, getting Keller forces a fumble against ODU and Manny Chapman, um, kick against Boston College. I think there's potential there. Um, but to me, that's a must for Virginia Tech just to generate a turnover to create a easier possession and easier scoring opportunity for the offense. Do we have any players who you believe, you know, are, are particular liabilities, but also X factors? I, mean, I know Wells is there, but maybe on the defensive side of the ball, who matters most? Is it Jamari Connor? Is it Dax up the middle? Is it the guys up front? Is it, you know, rotational corners in second, you know, against wide receiver two, wide receiver three? Who needs to have a breakout game? I'd say a guy like Keonta Jenkins is who I'm looking at. You know, we were talking about how JT Daniels isn't that mobile and, you know, that position is kind of your converted defensive back into a guy that can kind of, you know, cover when needed, but also assist in the run game. And there's so many weapons on West Virginia's offense that you need to keep in front of you. And I think, you know, Dax Hollyfield will obviously take a lot of what's coming up the middle and um, taking care of Donaldson, but some of the guys in space and this West Virginia offense that kind of runs, you know, an RPO scheme where, yeah, it may look like it's a run, but it feels like there's a pass option on every play. You're going to have to have a guy like Keonta Jenkins be very vigilant in, in defending that and being aware of what's going on. I feel like there's a huge gap in this week in terms of preparation than facing a Boston College and Old Dominion or a Wofford. You know, this is a multi-dimensional offense that does a lot of different things. So getting some of those younger guys that are in positions where, you know, they may still be learning as they're playing and starting, I think it's going to be big on a guy like that that's going to have to make a lot of plays in the open field. I got two spots I'm watching. Uh, Pollard, Kendricks. Uh, I guess Josh Fuga is going to play this week. He sat out against uh, Walford. Um, the, the, the two spots on the offensive line that are question marks for West Virginia are the guards. Um, James Gnitter? Um is the starter at left guard, and then Jordan White. White is the listed starter at right guard. Nestor played there last week because White was out injured. The White had a 45.4 grade or something like that against Pitt um, before he got hurt. So question marks there. I think that's a big, big matchup. Um, I don't know that the defensive ends, Garbett and McCray, are going to have the kind of success that they've had to date this year, particularly not the success they've had against, or the success they had against Boston College. But up the middle, I think Pollard and Kendricks and, and Fuga, um, that's a big opportunity for Virginia Tech to control the middle of the line of scrimmage. We talked about limiting Donaldson. Um, that starts right up the middle. If, if those guys can have success, keep guys off Dax Hollywood, um, that's a big, big, uh, that would be a big plus for Virginia Tech. And then I think the other spot is the cornerback spot. Armani Chapman and Dorian Strong. Um, they're going to be guarding Bryce Ford Wheaton. Ford Wheaton mostly lines up or almost exclusively lines up on the left side of the formation. Um, so whatever cornerback is lined up over there, I assume they'll rotate him at least a little bit. But, um, 
they're going to be tested over and over and over again. Uh, 16 targets. Ford Wheaton had 16 targets against Pittsburgh, 13 against Kansas. So the ball is coming. Um, they just can't get completely demolished. Um, he's going to make some plays. He's going to make a decent amount of catches. He'll probably catch a touchdown pass. Probably catch some key third downs. They're going to have to come up with some key plays, key moments. Um, whether they can pass or they force them to the sideline, things like that, um, occasionally to give the Kentucky offense a chance. I mean, yeah, you hit the nail on the head kind of across the board there, Doug. I know our, our listening audience is probably very well informed and well educated on this already at this point because they've read Doug Bowman's preview article as they do every week. One of the many tens of thousands that do. More than a lot of traditional newspapers, some might say. But nonetheless, you know, and if you don't, I'm telling you, this is not Jared Dagey's West Virginia offense. They're not going to have those head-scratching moments that made the Mountaineers fans want to jump out of their tree stand for the last few years. A little more efficient. Good news is the defense sucks. What Virginia Tech let Jared Dagey's offense do last year was beat them on the big play a couple times. Well, this offense has a lot more potential to do that. Same weapons, pretty much. Yeah, Bryce Ford Wheaton. Saying he's better than Zay Flowers, Doug. That was a bold statement. I mean, could be. Close enough. They're, they're at the We're same. We're talking poor prospects here. They're on the same, like, you know, level. Yeah. Same echelon of what college wide receivers, but. Pro prospects. Yeah, they're, they're different. Ford Wheaton's got like four inches and 40 pounds on Zay Flowers, but. They're both very good. Yeah, I'm sure when Ford Wheaton gets drafted, they'll call him a 50-50 ball guy or something like that. But nonetheless. You mentioned uh, Jared Dagey and how this isn't Jared Dagey's offense. Do you know where Jared Dagey is right now? I know he started at Bowling Green before he was at West Virginia. Where is he at now? And then he transferred to he transferred to Western Kentucky. Where he lost to starting quarterback jobs, so then he transferred to Troy, where you know, he he's played in two games this year as the backup quarterback at Troy. As the backup quarterback at Troy, so he transferred to Troy after transferring to Western Kentucky and didn't win either starting job. Correct. So it's a completely different offense. Yeah. <laughs> offensive or quarterback level, we'll say. I'm sure the offensive scheme is pretty similar, but. Yeah, different different level of quarterback class. I mean, people like to clown on JT Daniels because he can't stick around anywhere. But I mean, he he was jumping from you know one B to one A, and yeah, I'm sure that if he was at West Virginia, if he started at West Virginia, he'd be the starter there for the last five years, without question. There's <laughs> shame in transferring from behind Stetson Bennett. <laughs> uh, you're not gonna play. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for real. But, you know, just you can't get beat on big plays because those are what's going to break your back. But unfortunately, Virginia Tech does not have, from what I can tell, very much big play potential right now. Like any team has big play potential, you know, with King and you, know, you get Caleb Smith at open space, you got some speed. But, yeah, I, I'm just imagining, I'm imagining a, a frustrating existence of, you know, you really feel like you're going to get West Virginia out the field and they beat you over the top, and that and that's demoralizing, especially you know when you have an offense that can't necessarily punch back. Who knows? Maybe that offense will prove us wrong this week. But uh, if past performance for either of these offenses is indicative of future results, the uh, the pressure is going to be on Virginia Tech's defense going into this one, and. Uh, you know, it, it's really going to be a a measuring stick game, if you will, for a defense that is going to have to go up against increasingly difficult offensive opponents over the course of what could be a very tumultuous, if things go the worst possible case scenario, month for the Hokies. It's a, it's a tough schedule. Yeah, if, if Tech loses a close game in the 20s here, where the defense plays pretty well. I think that is 
gives you at least some encouraging hope that this is that this is a for real Virginia Tech defense that can uh give Tech at least some chance against like you know UNC's offense is very good. Their defense is a different story, but their offense is very good. Um, Pitt is a developing offense with Slovis, Miami with Van Dyke, NC State with Devin Leary. Like, um, if, if Tech's defense, if Tech loses and, but their defense still plays well, I think that is a silver lining to take into the, into October. Um, but if, if they, if they lose and give up like 42, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. I mean, there's no such thing as a moral victory on a sold out Thursday night against West Virginia in what could be the last matchup between these two teams in a long time. But you're right, Doug. You can lose this one close and not all hope will be lost. October is about going two and two in October. Like that's the, if tech goes two and two in October, that's that is good. huge. That's, <laughs> that that's, is that's, massive. Right. So that's what you're holding on to hope for at this point with if tech plays well. Yeah. Is, is that's at least a potential. But if Tech's offense can't do anything against West Virginia and West Virginia's offense plays on par West Virginia offense against Tech's defense, that dispels two notions that I feel like a lot of this fan base is holding on hope to, which of course, of course you have to. The defense is legitimately elite. You can be able to keep Tech in games despite who they're playing and that the offense is just rounding into form and in a conference where some defenses will be suspect the offenses generally seem to be pretty good they'll be able to hang in there a blowout west virginia win really sours the hopes for that anything close especially like you said being led on the defensive side of the ball given the variability and performance of acc teams in general you can still hold out some hope. Well, first of all, I think, like, yeah, there's a potential that West Virginia can run away with it. But at the same time, this is a one-and-two football team lost to Kansas. Of course, you can say, oh, is Kansas back, you know, after beating a really good Houston team last They are week. back. They are back. Kansas Correct. We'll back. answer that question right now. <laughs> According to Doug. But, um, you know, I, I think these two teams are still kind of similar in terms of overall portfolio. They're, they're kind of, you know, one because of defense, one because of offense. So I actually, like, I, I draw a lot of comparisons back to the 2017 game where you had Will Greer, who's kind of like a JT Daniels that everyone knows could be a potential NFL type of guy, can make every type of throw. West Virginia had uh, a running back, Justin Crawford, that kind of went wild against the Virginia Tech defense. Gary Jennings. You know, kind of like, uh, like Wheaton, uh, the clear number one guy. Like, there's a lot of similarities to that game where, yes, West Virginia put up nearly 600 yards against a really good Virginia Tech defense that was the strength. They had, you know, Josh Jackson that's kind of, you know, similar in a way in terms of, you know, the jury is still out in terms if he could be, you know, make all the throws, be that guy at quarterback. Um, but Virginia Tech still did enough to win that game, and I get it. It was neutral site, uh, and both those teams are a lot more talented than the two teams that will face off on Thursday night. But I think there's a lot of similarities, and that game ended up 31-24 for Virginia Tech. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. I think that, you know, it's going to come down to doing a lot of things right, not, you know, winning the turnover battle. Uh, will Ross being Will Ross this year. Uh, making a difference on special teams, having, you know, Peter Moore do his thing. But, uh, you know, even in that game in 2017, it's not like, yeah, Virginia Tech, like Josh Jackson had that one big run, but it wasn't like an onslaught of big plays that kept them in it with, you know, the opposing offense that had 600 yards. Like they, they did it methodically. They were able to move the chains and they did enough to win. And I think it's kind of the same formula. You have to be able to, run the ball against this West Virginia team that has been giving up rushing yards. Um, and you're going to have to convert chances instead of field goals uh, into the red zone and, and get touchdowns. So I think there's a lot of similarities to that 2017 game. And I think that's kind of the key where Virginia Tech has to, you know, do enough 
to keep points off. Yards are fine, whatever, but do enough to get enough points and, um, you know, just make enough happen. It doesn't have to be the big play, but just, you know, convert more of those drives into touchdowns like we've been seeing uh, have ended up in field goals. I suppose you're right. The Josh Jackson comparison holds some ground. I think that what Virginia Tech had in 2017 that, you know, they don't necessarily have now is, you know, a Camp Phillips, a wide receiver who you're throwing the ball up there as that unproven younger guy who still has a step left to take and knowing that he's going to be there to catch it. I think that's what this team needs right now is for one of these guys to just take that step forward. It's great that, you know, you have a bunch of dudes who could be a two and a three, but you'd like one guy to establish himself as the one. And maybe that's Caleb Smith if he comes back, you know, healthy. Because he, he does, if we know anything about Caleb Smith, I think he's the fastest guy on the team, you know, when they clock it out. He can create that separation. And he's had his moment in the limelight. It's not like a Daywan Lofton or a Gosnell or who just haven't had that much meaningful playing time at the collegiate level before. A guy like Blue, who you worry about his health, and it's been a few years since he's done it. Prior to the Wofford game, Christian Moss's entire existence was purely theoretical. Blumrick was a quarterback last year. <laughs> it's like a lot of pressure there on the former uh, wide receiver number three to step up. But, you know, it, it, it is a possibility. Because you're right. I mean, the way that we're talking about West Virginia right now, because they have JT Daniels, a guy who we've seen do it on the collegiate stage for years and years and years, and Ford Wheaton, you know, proven wide receiver. They've obviously had some success in the run game as well. You know, it, it's easy to chalk that up as weapons, but, you know, Trakovic and Zay Flowers were a pretty good tandem too. Now, they don't have the issues that Boston College has on the offensive line that can destroy any team, but, Virginia Tech's offensive deficiencies leave no room for error. We saw that against Old Dominion. You play a relatively solid offensive game against Boston College, and despite as bad as Boston College is, like you win handily. They play the game they did against Boston College. They have a shot in this one. But you can't take too many steps back from that. It's interesting. Neil Brown is in... Kind of the same situation Justin Fuente was when he went to West Virginia last year. Completely on the hot seat. Five and seven his first year, six and four in 2020, six and seven this year. Uh, one thing that happens when teams lose, particularly when everyone knows the coach is already on the hot seat, is it can get a little dicey in the locker room and the, the commitment level of the players, all that stuff. We saw some of that last year for sure. And teams see the writing on the wall. Um, losing to an arch rival like Pitt to open the year kind of heightens those emotions. Losing a game that nobody thought they should lose to Kansas certainly heightens those emotions. So I think things are on uh shaking footing there. And, and if Virginia Tech can start strong, if they can come out hot and um, put West Virginia on their heels, I mean, it, there's no telling where this where this West Virginia program is kind of kind of feeling in terms of the whole atmosphere program and how committed they are to like if Tech takes a ten point lead, a fourteen point lead, Wayne Stadium's going crazy, all this stuff. Like do they have the was this team with a lane with an arguably lame duck coach at that point? This team being West Virginia have enough to, to kind of rally at that point? I, I don't know. Um, they play Texas and Baylor the next two weeks, so they would be staring, you know, one and five right in the face right there. Um, but I, you know, I think that's an interesting storyline, especially given last year where Quinte was kind of in the same boat. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. In my, in my sample size of one, I got a close friend of ours that's a West Virginia fan, grew up in West Virginia, lived his whole life in West Virginia, and I talked to him tonight, actually, about the game, and he said, kind of rooting for Tech to win just to get the coach fired, you know? We definitely had some feelings just like we saw recently under Justin Fuente and the Virginia Tech fan base. There were more than, uh, more than a few conversations I heard saying, I hope the other team wins if it'll get Justin Fuente fired quicker, so... Yeah, I think there's definitely some rumblings uh, throughout that fan base right now about Neil Brown's future. If he starts with losses to Pitt and Virginia Tech in the first month of the year, like I don't even know if he gets on the bus home or flight home. That's it. I mean, he's fired in the end zone. He's toast. Like, yeah, as I seem to be hyping up West Virginia in this podcast, like, they're not world beaters by any means. Like they've already lost to Kansas. Virginia Tech I mean, is a game where they're favored. Look ahead on their schedule in a Big 12 that seems to have rounded out into form at least early on in this season. Baylor's looking good. Oklahoma, number six in the country right now. Oklahoma State's a good team. Texas looks dangerous. You're one and two. You go to one and three. What they were asking from Neil Brown this year was to take a step up from that like six and six standard that he's set so far. You lose to Tech. Is there even a path to six and six? Like how many of those games are you going to be favoring? Kansas State, maybe? They played number 22 Texas following Virginia Tech at Texas, which is probably a loss. And then they welcomed in number 17 Baylor. So if you lose to Virginia Tech and you go one and three, you're most likely one and five. And at that point, does Neil Brown have a job? I don't think no. so. No, he does not. So pressure's on, Neil. Maybe the, uh, you know, they say about, uh, you know, when the, the coach loses the team, it's, it's when you start seeing the players out on, uh, Thursday nights before the game. Now this game's going to be played on Thursday nights. So maybe the West Virginia players are out right now. That's how we'd know. Well, quite, basically, it's like, what is the Pittsburgh menu last year? Pittsburgh. Last year, Virginia Tech against Pittsburgh Tech comes out and doesn't have anything. He's just 28-7, and that's when you knew it. That's when it was, that's when the writing was on the wall. And it was, it was in the first half of that game where it was obvious. Um, so where, where is that moment for Virginia Brown? Is it this week? It, it, it could very well be this week. Um, it might, it might, it might be next week or against Baylor at home in two weeks, something like that. But I think that's a, you know, it's something that deserves mentioning because it's, you know, indicative of the program as a whole and where the team is and all that stuff. You know, I, I can't imagine the locker room is happy after losing to Pitt, and they like certainly weren't happy after losing to Kansas, and that's when the brain game starts coming around and get the second strings talking about how they need a bigger role and um, people start making uh, individual decisions instead of team decisions, and that's a problem. But this also could be their, you know, their 2021 Virginia Tech-North Carolina game, a false hope proposition that breathes life, albeit 10 minutes of life, back to a coaching staff and a program that's on life support. But, uh, yeah, we've been running long here, and we still do need to talk about Nebraska. So I'm going to humbly ask you guys <laughs> for your score predictions. Uh, I'm going West Virginia 33, Virginia Tech 26. I just don't think Virginia Tech's offense has the firepower to um, keep up. I think Bryce would be most nice plays. West Virginia Tech enough balance with Mathis and Donaldson on the ground to make things really difficult for Virginia Tech's defense or more difficult than it's been to date. Um, until Virginia Tech gets some sort of push up front with a with pop in the run game, like this is not an offense that can be run dimensionally. This is not an offense that you can rely on Grant Wells to throw it to 45, 50 times a game to, to hang with and have an offense. So 
kill Virginia Tech's offensive line improves and becomes a better run blocking unit, like I'm leaning against the offense having enough to win this game. Yeah, I'm with Doug. I think West Virginia is going to win this. I'm going to go 31-21. Um, it's unfortunate, obviously, Wayne Stadium Thursday night, Black Diamond Trophy, but I think that, like Doug was saying, the team that gets out to the early lead probably is going to win this game. You know, if one of the teams gets off to a 14-0 start, um, it, it's going to be tough. And I think the amount of different, the difference in West Virginia's offense compared to the teams that Virginia Tech's defense has seen this year, I think is going to take a lot of adjustments. So I wouldn't be surprised to see West Virginia come in there, kind of silence the crowd a little bit, get up to like a 14-0 uh, lead uh, or something of the sort, 10-0, whatever. From that point, I don't have enough faith in the Virginia Tech offense to go toe-to-toe, to try to lead them back into this game. And so I think it's going to be like a slow separ- a quick separation in the beginning and then just too much, uh, too tough of a mountain to climb. So I'm going West Virginia 31, Virginia Tech 21. I'm going same outcome, a lot lower. I think Virginia Tech's offense is going to have trouble getting the ball in the end zone, but I think the defense is playing better uh, than expected. I think they're going to play pretty well. I'm going to go 28-21 West Virginia. I'm going to pick the biggest blowout of us all, uh, 35-17. Tate, too, you know, a lot of the points that you made, Virginia Tech's like Andrew is back. I know. He did it against Boston College. He's running it back. Hey, well, maybe, uh, maybe I'll be wrong again. I'll, I'll be happy on Thursday evening if I'm wrong again. Look, the reality is that Virginia Tech has not faced an offense to the caliber of West Virginia, and they haven't even really had to play catch up in a game yet. I guess they were down at the end against Old Dominion. Maybe they were down by three. At one point prior to that, before they, they came, but there's, there's never been a point where they really had to like try to claw themselves back in a game and keep up. It's going to require throwing the ball a lot. I respect the firepower that West Virginia has on offense. And ultimately, I think that's going to force Grant Wells into some mistakes that will make the outcome even worse. So I don't think it will necessarily fall entirely on the defense. I think that the defense could reasonably you know, in, in drives that start in West Virginia territory, keep the Mountaineers under 30 points. But I'm going to go uh, 35-17, West Virginia. You at least putting in your money line bet? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I feel good about this one. Hey, maybe I'll be wrong again. Okay. Vegas says that this one's going to be close. That being said, Vegas only gave Georgia Tech uh, 16 and a half points against Ole Miss. Who's laughing now? Paul Johnson. <laughs> Talk about lame duck head coaches. Yeah, or, him or and Collins. <laughs> him and Satterfield both looking. Uh, suddenly, Dino Baver is his, uh, you know, the man of the hour in it. We're looking at a Syracuse for Duke ACC championship game. Uh, we very well could. We very I don't well want to could. see John Tucker tweeting about himself, so I'm rooting actively against that. Look, here's a question. Hot take time. Do you feel, are you at the point yet where you no longer feel that Duke is a Chuckerman win? No. <laughs> I'm not. They've, <laughs> their schedule that they played is, is not good. Northwestern lost to Southern Illinois. But beat Nebraska. Hands uh, of property. Uh, no, we'll, we'll wait till there's, just like we're waiting for Virginia Tech's schedule to heat up, we gotta wait for Duke's schedule to heat up. Well, it heats up this week in Lawrence. That, that game is gonna be awesome. <laughs> I can't wait, personally. It's like, I'm, it's like, thank God that Virginia Tech's playing on a Thursday night so I can just dedicate my Saturday, 3.30, park it on the couch. Forget Wake Forest and Clemson. I'm watching Duke Kansas. Forget 
you know, when Georgia played Clemson last year, this is a real battle of the heavy hitters. I can't believe game day passed on going to New Orleans for this. Well, this yeah. is their only chance. Okay. Because, you know, let's bring this back around to Nebraska. Kansas' coach is definitely going to Nebraska. If offered, they're doing Urban Meyer chants in uh, Memorial Stadium in Lincoln. Of they are. <laughs> they're going to be really disappointed when they hire the Kansas coach. <laughs> <laughs> he's a program builder. But he's, what he's done to this point, getting them to even be favored in a game against a Power 5 opponent, is something of a small miracle that not even the great Les Miles could achieve. Speaking of which, remember when they did that documentary series on West Miles leading Kansas? God. Uh, who feels worse right now about their season prospects? Tech fans or UVA fans? Definitely UVA fans, right? The, the one positive hope that they had was that Brendan Armstrong and offense was going to be able to carry the load. And three points against Illinois and 16 against the uh, ODUs and exactly inspiring their confidence, I would think. I thought they were going to lose the ODU, too. I mean, it looked like, I don't know how much time was left. I think there was like a, just over a minute, minute or something. Yeah. Um, also, like Brennan Armstrong coming back, and now it seems like his draft stock has plummeted. So it's tough scenes. Yeah, we talked about it last week. It's the offensive line. Like, they have the Boston College offensive line. You have a good quarterback, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talking about scheduling, up, they go to Syracuse and to Duke in the next two weeks. So we're going to learn everything we need to know about UVA. If we miss it, Sean Tucker will tell us exactly what happened. He's probably going to be disappointed in his performance, but happy about his team's progress. Hey, team looks good, Sean. It's not all about you. They got the old UVA offensive coordinator there at Syracuse now. He's making Garrett Schrader look like a... uh look like Fred Armstrong. Yeah, look like <laughs> It's uh, roles reversed. It's funny, by the end of the UVA season last year, they were like so out on that guy, Robert and I or whatever. I wonder if this is going to be feeling the same way. If it's good in the beginning, it's nice and exciting, and then you go 56. Again, I'll say it once, I'll say it a million times. People get frustrated very easily in the world of college football. Change isn't always necessarily better. That's why, you know, Middle Tennessee re-signed Rick Stockstill to a multi-year extension. It theoretically could get worse. Uh... <laughs> As Georgia Tech you gotta, respect, you gotta respect them knowing, like, what's just fine. Yeah. Georgia Tech sees it. It can get worse. You know, Paul Johnson had that team in ACC championship games. He has, like, two bad years. When, when did they get rid of them? 18? In, what was it, 15? They were in the ACC yeah. championship? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, Johnson screwed. He, he knew he was screwing whoever uh, took over after him when he, he scheduled this year's schedule for him. Like, it's just a, just a late, late grenade for him. Like, you're never going to be able to turn around this program and the football program by the time you get to Old Miss, whoever else they're playing. They got another tough one this week, don't they? Georgia Tech's got UCF. And they're probably 22. Let's see if it's changed. 22 last time I checked. Okay. Actually, the line's moving towards Georgia Tech. 20 and a half point dogs in Orlando. Might be a future Georgia Tech head coach, Gus Malzahn, though. Very well, could be. Uh, Notre Dame, UNC. UNC is a favorite here. It's essentially a pick em game, though. I think that line is flipped from Notre Dame minus one to UNC minus one since I last looked 24 hours ago. I don't know what to make of Notre Dame. <laughs> well, transitive property is not everything, but Marshall lost to uh, Bowling Green, I believe. Yeah, you're fighting Scott Leffler. Is he still at Bowling Green? Yeah, he's still fighting. Still working at him and Greg Nozala turning that program around. Good for him. 
Hey, don't look now, but Bowling Green is one and two with a loss to an FCS team. In seven overtimes. And right. they and they were leading UCLA early, so they're Scott's got those guys fighting. Yeah. I don't know if the Bowling Green Falcons can turn it around against Mississippi State on the road this weekend, but Akron provides a big opportunity for the Falcons and Scott Leffler to avenge himself, uh, you know, coming up on the 1st of October. So you'll have to tune in to next week's podcast to hear a preview for that one, folks. Because we are still listening. Post on the board that I was just about to say that. I was just about to say post on the board and Evan, whoever posts, like they get a VIP subscription for a year because we went all over the place. Yeah. You have to say the last thing that was mentioned. (laughs) I guess we got this far. That would be the last thing that's mentioned. Say a code word or something. Blumrick. Say Blumrick. I'm going to make that the new promo code. As long as you don't have to pay him royalties. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if you can use that. All right. New code without paying him. <laughs> That's a name. Name, image, and likeness. It's the first letter. NIL. You can't use that. The code word is Crocs. Crocs. Code, code word Crocs, is Crocs. Start a new thread that just says Crocs and say, I've listened this far. And Evan will hook you up. Fair enough. If you if you listen this far, Doug will give you a uh, beer at his tailgate on Thursday if you show up. Are you going, Doug? No, I'll be in Nashville for a basketball this so. I hope your friend didn't go to Tech that scheduled this no. bachelor party. Nope. nope. Okay, it's acceptable. Yeah. Then you're a good friend. Yeah. Even friend if he was that Tech, he would come see us. Maybe if you text me before five o'clock. I'll hang out That's with right. you next time, though. Matei ditches us, too. Don't worry about it. Okay, doesn't even show up. <laughs> I even texted you and told you where I was, and then you didn't respond. He does that. I was, I was live on the air. <laughs> you were live on the air. I had to carry Andrew's <laughs> water that day. Look, video killed the radio star. That's, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, but yeah, we're inside the tunnel, and we've been going for an hour and ten minutes almost. It'll probably look like less than that once I make the edits because there's a couple moments here that that can be pulled. But regardless, we'll be back next week to talk about everything that happened between Virginia Tech and West Virginia, Duke and Kansas, Bowling Green and Mississippi State, and the rest of the games in this college football slate that matter the most to you, the fans. But until then, enjoy your weekend. Game's on Thursday, so win, lose, or draw. Have a nice, peaceful Saturday. Enjoy it. And as always, go Hokies.